Section 5 of Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. Chapter 4 The Cause of the Accident part two payloads inertial upper stage and support equipment the payload bay of the orbiter challenger contained a tracking and data relay satellite tdrs attached to an inertial upper stage ius booster rocket and associated airborne support equipment the ius contained two solid rocket motors srms SRM-1 and SRM-2. The combined weight of these components was about 40,000 pounds. About 5% of the payload, IUS and support equipment package, was recovered from the ocean. Components recovered included segments of the cases of both IUS SRMs, the ignition-safe arm device for each SRM, the igniter for SRM-2, fragments of unburnt propellant from each SRM, five explosive separation bolts that secure the two SRMs together, the forward support equipment trunnions, the aft trunnions with spreader beams, and an undetonated section of explosive fasteners. There was no evidence of scorching, burning, or melting on any of the components and structure recovered, and all fractures were typical overload fractures. The safe arm device for each IUS SRM was in the safe position. The five explosive SRM-1, SRM-2 separation bolts were intact, and the pieces of propellant were not burned, indicating that the SRMs had not ignited. The two aft trunnion spreader beams were intact, but were bent in the downward direction relative to the orbiter. The right spreader beam was cracked and deformed about 7.5 inches, and the left spreader beam was cracked and deformed about 1.5 inches. These deformations indicate that the payload and upper stage package was intact and secure in the cargo bay while being subjected to significant inertial flight loads. The inertial upper stage is a two-stage, solid-rocket-propelled, three-axis-controlled, inertially-navigated upper-stage rocket used to deliver spacecraft weighing up to approximately 5,000 pounds from the shuttle parking orbit to geosynchronous orbit. It includes the stage structure, solid-rocket motors, a reaction-control subsystem, avionics for telemetry, tracking, and command, guidance, navigation, and control, data management, thrust vector control, electrical power sources and electrical cabling, and airborne software. Assessment of possible upper-stage contribution to the accident centered on the elimination of three possible scenarios, premature upper-stage rocket ignition, explosion or fire in the payload bay, and payload shift in the payload bay. 
premature ignition of either the upper stage stage one and or stage two motor while still in the orbiter bay would have resulted in catastrophic failure of the orbiter potential causes for premature ignition were electrostatic discharge inadvertent ignition command and auto ignition each would have caused a rapid increase in the orbiter payload bay temperature and pressure and would have been immediately followed by structural damage to the payload bay doors the payload bay temperatures remained essentially constant and the orbiter photographic and telemetry data indicated the payload doors remained closed and latched from liftoff until signal loss both indications verified that there was no ignition of the ius solid rocket motors an ius component explosion or fire could have damaged critical systems in the orbiter by overheating or impact five sources other than an upper stage motor pre-ignition were identified as potential origins of a fire or explosion in the payload bay one release and ignition of ius hydrazine from the reaction control system tanks two fire or explosion from an ius battery three impact or rupture of a motor case and subsequent ignition of exposed propellant four fire of electrical origin due to a short and five fire or inadvertent ignition of pyrotechnic devices due to radio frequency radiation thermal measurements in the propellant tank and in components adjacent to the propellant tanks indicated no abnormalities pre-launch and thermal measurements in the orbiter payload bay and in tdrs near the reaction control system were stable throughout the ascent period a fire and or explosion resulting in shrapnel from an ius battery was eliminated based on pre-launch monitoring of open circuit voltages on all batteries except the support equipment batteries location of these batteries made the potential for damage to critical systems very small if they burned or exploded motor case impact or rupture and resulting exposure and propellant ignition was determined improbable because batteries and reaction control system burning or explosion were eliminated by flight data analysis they were the only potential sources for ius heating and high velocity shrapnel propellant burning was not indicated by payload bay thermal measurements electrical shorting was eliminated as a fire source in the payload bay because ius electrical and orbiter voltage monitors were normal at launch and during sts 51l ascent fires initiated by radio frequency radiation due to inadvertent ius tdrs or ground emittance were eliminated because data showed worst case radio frequency radiation during ascent was less than ground emitted radiation to the payload bay during pre-launch checkout the ground emitted radiation was within specified limits ius tdrs payload shifting or breaking free within the orbiter due to structural failure or premature separation was investigated such a shift could have resulted in severe orbiter damage 
from a direct impact or could have induced a significant shift in the challenger vehicle's center of gravity and possibly affected flight control four possible faults that could have led to orbiter damage or substantial payload shift were considered ius stage two tdrs separation ius stage one stage two separation ius tdrs separation from the airborne support equipment and ius airborne support equipment separation from the orbiter all were eliminated because dynamic response data conclusively showed that ius tdrs responded normally until the final loss of data further tdrs data which passed through the ius stage one stage two and support equipment were continuous until data loss verifying that these elements did not separate the tdrs spacecraft weighs approximately four thousand nine hundred five pounds and is nine point five feet in diameter and nineteen point five feet long the forward eleven feet contains six deployable appendages two solar arrays one space ground link antenna and two single access antennas the spacecraft body structure consists of a payload structure and a spacecraft structure these structures house the tracking and telemetry and command subsystem power subsystem thermal control subsystem ordnance subsystem reaction control subsystem and attitude control subsystem telemetry data were transmitted from tdrs from approximately 48 hours prior to launch through signal loss the telemetry system was functioning properly and the data indicated that the telemetry processor was in its normal operational mode and all power supply voltages and calibration voltages were normal there were no changes through the countdown to the time of structural breakup when all telemetry abruptly halted the telemetry tracking and control subsystems command and tracking elements were inactive during the countdown through ascent and no changes were noted indicating that the tdrs was not commanded to alter its launch configuration the tdrs power subsystem had a total of 138 telemetry indications these were the main data source used to determine the power subsystem activity analyzing this telemetry showed all subsystem elements performed normally the tdrs thermal control subsystem was designed to maintain proper temperatures primarily by passive means also there is a thermostatically controlled heater system to ensure minimum required temperatures are maintained the thermal subsystem was monitored by 82 configuration status indicators and 137 analog temperature channels this telemetry showed that the tdrs remained in its normal thermal configuration and experienced normal temperatures until signal loss no data indicated that the ius separated from the tdrs that any deployable appendage ordnance had been fired or that any appendage motion had begun 
The TDRS reaction control system was inactive at launch and required an IUS command and two ground commands to activate any propellant. Telemetry indicated no valve actuation, changes in tank pressures or temperatures, or propellant line temperature violations. Further, there was no telemetry that would suggest a hydrazine leakage or abnormality, and no indications that the TDRS reaction control system contributed to the accident. During the launch phase, the attitude control subsystem was disabled, except for the gyros and associated electronics necessary to provide the telemetry. All telemetry parameters reflecting attitude control subsystem configuration remained normal and unchanged during the STS-51L pre-launch and post-launch periods. The TDRS was mounted in a cantilevered fashion to the IUS by an adapter ring that provided structural, communications, and power interfaces. Structural integrity loss indications would have been observed by interruptions in telemetry or electrical power. TDRS telemetry during the launch phase was transmitted by electrical cable to the IUS and interleaved with upper stage data. If separation had occurred at either the TDRS-IUS interface or the IUS support equipment interface, TDRS data would have stopped. There was no abnormal telemetry until signal loss of all vehicle telemetry. TDRS also received power from the shuttle via the IUS through the same interfaces. There were no indications of TDRS batteries coming online. This indicates that structural integrity at the TDRS and IUS interfaces was maintained until the structural breakup. Additionally, an inspection of the recovered debris gives the following indications that the TDRS-IUS remained intact until the structural breakup. First, the separation bank lanyards frayed at the end where they attached to the band, indicating that the spacecraft was pulled forcefully from the adapter. Second, the V-groove ring structure at the top of the adapter was torn from its riveted connection to the adapter, indicating that a strong shear existed between the spacecraft and IUS, which would only be generated if the two were still attached. Finally, the adapter base was torn where it attached to the IUS, again indicating high tension and shear forces. There were no indications from telemetry or recovered debris that showed that the structural integrity of the satellite or the satellite stage interface had been compromised. The TDRS records at Kennedy were reviewed for technical correctness and to verify that no open safety-related issues existed. There were no findings that revealed unsafe conditions or that any safety requirements had been violated or compromised. A review and assessment of Spartan Halley performance was conducted to establish any possible contributions to the STS-51L accident. The Spartan Halley was unpowered except for the release engage mechanism latch monitor. Its electrical current was in the order of milliamps, 
and the telemetry records obtained from the orbiter indicated that the latches were in the proper configuration, and thus Spartan Halley remained firmly attached during flight. In addition, the TDRS spacecraft data indicated there was no interaction from Spartan. Therefore, the Spartan Halley and its support structure remained intact. The payload bay temperature in the vicinity of Spartan was 55 degrees Fahrenheit, indicating no abnormal thermal conditions. As a result of detailed analyses of the STS-51L orbiter, the payload flight data, payload recovered hardware, flight film, available payload pre-launch data, and applicable hardware processing documentation, the Commission concluded that the payload did not cause or contribute to the cause of the accident. Solid Rocket Booster The Solid Rocket Booster comprises seven subsystems. Structures, Thrust Vector Control, Range Safety, Separation, Electrical and Instrumentation, Recovery, and the Solid Rocket Motor. All recovered solid rocket booster pieces were visually examined, and selected areas were extracted for chemical and metallurgical analysis. The exterior surfaces of the solid rocket boosters are normally protected from corrosion by an epoxy resin compound. There were several small areas where this protective coating was gouged or missing on the pieces recovered, and as a result the exposed metallic surfaces in the areas were corroded. The damage to the protective coating was most likely the result of detonation of the linear-shaped charges and water impact. There was no obvious evidence of major external flame impingement or molten metal found on any of the pieces recovered. All fracture surfaces exhibited either the characteristic markings of rapid tensile overload, a complete bending failure due to overload, or a separation fracture due to the detonation of the linear-shaped charges. Other pieces of the right solid rocket motor aft field joint showed extensive burn damage centered at the 307-degree position. Most of the solid rocket motor case material recovered contained pieces of residual unburned propellant still attached to the inner lining of the case structure. The severed propellant edges were sharp, with no unusual burn patterns. Propellant recovered with a forward segment of the booster exhibited the star pattern associated with the receding shape of the propellant at the front end of the solid rocket motor, there was no evidence found of propellant grain cracking or debonding on the pieces recovered. Casting flow lines could be distinguished on the propellant surfaces in several areas. This is a normal occurrence due to minor differences in the propellant cast during the installation of the propellant in the motor case structure. Hardness tests of each piece of the steel casing material were taken before the propellant was burned from the piece. All of the tests showed normal hardness values. One of the pieces of casing showed evidence of O-ring seal tracks on the tang of the field joint. The tracks were cleaned with hexane to remove the grease preservative 
that had been applied after recovery of the piece, and samples of the track material were removed for analysis. Chemical analysis of the track material showed that the tracks were not composed of degraded O-ring seal material. The possible solid rocket booster faults or failures assessed were structural overload, solid rocket motor pressure integrity violation, and premature linear-shaped charge detonation. Reconstructed lift-off and flight loads were compared with design loads to determine if a structural failure may have caused the accident. The STS-51L loads were within the bounds of design and capability and were not a factor. Photographic and video imagery confirmed that both solid rocket boosters remained structurally intact until the time of the explosion, except for the leak observed on the right solid rocket motor. The possibility that the range safety system prematurely operated, detonating the linear-shaped charges, was investigated. The linear-shaped charges were photographically observed to destroy both solid rocket boosters at 110 seconds after launch when commanded to do so by the range safety officer, and therefore could not have discharged at 73 seconds after launch, causing the accident. The possibilities of the solid rocket boosters separating prematurely from the external tank, the nozzle exit cone prematurely separating, or early deployment of the recovery system were examined. Premature activation of the separation system was eliminated as a cause of failure based on telemetry that showed no separation commands. There were no indications that the nozzle exit cone separated, the recovery system was observed photographically to activate only after the solid rocket boosters had exited the explosion. In addition to the possible faults or failures, STS-51L solid rocket booster hardware manufacturing records were examined in detail to identify and evaluate any deviations from the design, any handling abnormalities or incidents, any material usage issues, and or other indication of problems that might have importance in the investigation. Based on these observations, the Commission concluded that the left solid rocket booster and all components of the right solid rocket booster, except the right solid rocket motor, did not contribute to or cause the accident. The Right Solid Rocket Motor As the investigation progressed, Elements assessed as being improbable contributors to the accident were eliminated from further consideration. This process of elimination brought the focus to the right solid rocket motor. As a result, four areas related to the functioning of that motor received detailed analysis to determine their part in the accident. Structural Loads Evaluation failure of the case wall, case membrane, propellant abnormalities, loss of the pressure seal at the case joint, and, where appropriate, the investigation considered the potential for interaction between these areas. Structural Loads Evaluation Structural loads for all STS-51L launch and flight phases 
were reconstructed using test-verified models to determine if any loading condition exceeded design limits. Seconds prior to liftoff, the Space Shuttle main engines start, while the solid rocket boosters are still bolted to the launch pad. The resultant thrust loads on the solid rocket boosters prior to liftoff were derived in two ways. One, through strain gauges on the hold-down posts, and two, from photographic coverage of solid rocket booster and external tank tip deflections. These showed that the hold-down post-strain data were within design limits. The solid rocket booster tip deflection, or twang, was about four inches less than seen on a previous flight, STS-6, which carried the same general payload weight and distribution as STS-51L. The period of oscillation was normal. These data indicate that the Space Shuttle main engine thrust buildup, the resulting forces and movements, vehicle and pad stiffness and clearances, were as expected. The resultant total bending moment experienced by STS-51L was 291 times 10 to the 6th inch-pounds, which is within the design allowable limit of 347 times 10 to the 6th inch-pounds. The STS-51L liftoff loads were compared to design loads and flight-measured loads for STS-1 through STS-7. The shuttle strut identification is shown in Figure 10. The loads measured on the struts are good indicators of stress, since all loads between shuttle elements are carried through the struts. The STS-51L liftoff loads were within the design limit. Because the solid rocket motor field joints were the major concern, the reconstructed joint loads were compared to design loads. Most of the joint load is due to the booster's internal pressure, but external loads and the effects of inertia dynamics also contribute. The solid rocket motor field joint axial tension loads at liftoff were within the design load limit, 17.2 times 10 to the 6th pounds. The highest load occurred at the forward field joint, 15.2 times 10 to the 6th pounds. The mid-joint load was 13.9 times 10 to the 6th pounds, while the aft joint showed 13.8 times 10 to the 6th pounds load. Loads were constructed for all in-flight events, including the roll maneuver and the region of maximum dynamic pressure. A representative measure of these loads is the product of dynamic pressure, Q, and the angle of attack, A, Greek letter alpha. Since the shuttle is designed to climb out at a negative angle of attack, the product is a negative number. The loads in the Q times alpha pitch plane are shown in figure 11. Although the Q times alpha variations in loads due to wind shear were larger than expected, they were well within the design limit loads. The solid rocket motor field joint axial tension loads were substantially lower at maximum dynamic pressure than at liftoff, 11.6 times 10 to the 6th pounds for the forward field joint, and 10.6 times 10 to the 6th pounds for the aft field joint. 
Compared to the internal pressure loads, the dynamic variations due to wind shear were small, about one-fifteenth those of the pressure loads. These loads were well below the design limit loads and were not considered the cause of the accident. Case Membrane Failure The case membrane is the half-inch thick steel wall of the rocket between the joints. The possibility that the failure was initiated by anomalies associated with the case membrane was evaluated by analysis of design and test criteria. Potential failure modes were constrained by the following flight data and photographic observations. 1. A burn through the membrane would have to occur at or near the aft field joint. 2. The failure could have little or no influence on motor internal pressure, since no deviation in pressure occurred prior to 60 seconds. 3. The failure must cause a burn through the membrane in 58 seconds. The hypothesis of a membrane failure requires that the initial smoke, observed at 0.678 seconds, was an independent occurrence. It is an unlikely hypothesis for initiation of the accident. Fracture mechanics analysis indicates that a hole in the case larger than one inch would cause the entire case to rupture in a few milliseconds. This would give rise to the appearance of a large longitudinal flame, an event that is contrary to the flight films. Evaluation of potential insulation or inhibitor flaws against the three criteria above resulted in elimination of all candidates except a defect in the forward-facing inhibitor. This potential failure mode was evaluated by assuming a one-inch diameter hole in the inhibitor. Analysis indicated that the change in motor internal pressure resulting from this failure would probably not be detected. However, an erosion rate substantially higher than the observed values would be required to burn through the membrane by 58 seconds. In addition, the assumed flaw is unlikely, since the inhibitor is constructed by vulcanizing eight individual plies of the material. Subsequent damage of the magnitude required is improbable and would be easily detected. A review of the segment inspection and of proof tests was conducted. Prior to vehicle assembly, each segment was pressurized to 112% of the maximum design operational pressure. A magnetic particle inspection of each membrane was then conducted. These procedures are designed to screen critical flaws and are capable of detecting cracks greater than 0.1 inches. Fracture mechanics analysis indicates that a flaw 0.1 inch long and 0.050 inch deep would grow to only 0.122 inches long and 0.061 inches deep in 80 uses of that segment. The flaw would be less than the critical size required to cause rupture. Furthermore, as noted previously, a failure resulting in a case rupture is not consistent with the photographic observations. Subsequent to these evaluations, Sections of the right solid rocket motor case containing holes burned through in the area of the aft field joint were recovered. Assessments of the sections 
do not support a failure that started in the membrane and progressed slowly to the joint or one that started in the membrane and grew rapidly the length of the solid rocket motor segment propellant an examination of propellant characteristics and flight data was accomplished to determine if any anomalous conditions were present in the STS-51L Wright solid rocket motor. Propellant cracking and propellant mean bulk temperatures were evaluated. Historically, the propellant family used in the solid rocket motor, TPH-1148, has exhibited good mechanical properties and an absence of green structural problems. Should a crack occur, however, the effects would be evident by changes in chamber pressure. Shortly after liftoff, the STS-51L right solid rocket motor chamber pressure was 22 pounds per square inch higher than that of the left solid. This would correlate to a postulated radial crack through the grain spanning a 90-degree pie-shaped wedge of the solid. However, with a crack of this nature, the chamber pressure would have remained high for approximately 60 seconds. Telemetry shows that the right solid rocket motor chamber pressure did not remain high past 20 or 24 seconds, and therefore the existence of a propellant crack was ruled out. Propellant mean bulk temperature calculations were made using the ambient temperature over the two-week period prior to the launch. The lowest bulk temperature experienced was 57 degrees Fahrenheit on the day of the launch. This was 17 degrees Fahrenheit above the minimum specified. Based on this assessment and subscale lot acceptance motor firing evaluations, it is improbable that propellant anomalies contributed to the STS-51L accident. End of Section 5 Recording by Maria Casper.